So this is Philippians 4, <clears throat> 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in, in, in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side for the, in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose name is in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let the Lord be near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, with guard, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you for reading that. This is God's word today. Um, I just realized, if you don't know me, I didn't say my name earlier. My name's Kenny, one of the pastors here. Um, glad to be with you. And this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. There is so much in here that, that the author, Paul, he's writing a letter, he's in prison, he's encouraging uh, the members of a church that he knows well, and he's encouraging them in their faith. But there's so much in here about standing firm in the Lord um, that as I studied this week, I realized that I could either try to cover everything and do really poorly, <laughs> or I could focus on a, uh, just a few verses in there that, that I feel like could really encourage and really help us in this time in our church. And so that's what I want to do today. And I think that in this passage, we're going to see an outrageous claim that I'm going to make right now, that Christians don't have to worry about anything. Just gonna let that drop, right? Christians don't have to worry about anything. So right off the bat, you're thinking, okay, either this guy's wrong or he's crazy, right? Maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> and maybe... I don't think I'm wrong. I might be a little bit crazy, but just hear me out. Christians don't have to worry about anything. Now, don't get me wrong. Christians have a lot of stuff to worry about that we could worry about. Christians are no different than anyone else who's not a Christian in the sense of we all go through suffering. We all go through pain. We all experience death. We all experience the loss of health. Uh, we, we all uh, lose loved ones. We all experience pain and suffering like everyone else. But what's hidden in this passage is, that, is the truth 
that when our faith is in Jesus, our outside circumstances don't have to determine our inner attitudes. Everything that's going on out here around us, it's not a math equation where that equals that we have to despair or not be at peace or not have joy or lash out. It, our outside circumstances do not have to determine our inner attitudes. That's why Paul, who's in prison and who has been beaten for his faith, shipwrecked for his faith, stoned with rocks for his faith and left for dead, all because preaching Jesus, that he can write to these people and say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. That in four chapters, he can say joy or rejoice 16 times. Because we truly have hope. So the question, if, if I'm making this insane claim that Christians don't have to worry about anything, I'm also going to ask the question, what are you worried about? And that's not with one ounce of sarcasm because I'm going to be the first one to say that I worry a lot, a whole lot, on any given day, Monday through Sunday, chances are there's something that I'm worried about. And I think it's ironic and I love God's sense of humor that he would give me this passage to preach on about worrying because it's something that I've struggled with and something that God is teaching me not to do and teaching me to worship instead. But I do want to ask that question and I want you to think of something for real right now. I don't want you to make something up. What is it in your life that you're worried about? Is it a particular situation? Is it something at work? Is it, is it uh, a failure? Is it worrying that you're not going to achieve something? Is there, um, are you suffering right now? Is it something that has to do with health? Is it something that has to do with a loved one? What is it that you're worried about? Because I believe this passage today, the reason I ask that is because I don't want this to be ethereal. I think this is going to be real for each one of us. If we learn what God's word is showing to us today, we're going to see that we can let prayer shape our worries into worship. Prayer can shape our worries into worship. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about any situation But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So in order to get there, in order to get where we can take the thing that we're worrying about and let that be turned into something that we're worshiping God through, I want us to go through three points that the passage lines out. That Christians don't have to worry because God is in control. Christians don't have to worry because God is in control. Christians don't have to worry because God's control is good. And Christians don't have to worry because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. All right, so Christians don't have to worry because God is in control. What this passage tells us is that the God of peace will be with you. This is a 
This is a way that Paul several times in his letters describes God because God is so much in charge of peace that he can describe him as the God of peace. But what that means is God is working everything together for good towards his ultimate perfect plan. That he is the God of shalom, the, the Hebrew word for peace is this integrated wholeness, that everything, instead of being broken, is in its right format, that it's actually peace. It's not just the absence of war, but that it's coming together for good and for God's purpose. And here's what's interesting about Christians believing God is in control. Because according to the Bible and according to the Christian faith, God is not just the universe, He's not just an amorphous blob that we can't really know, but God reveals himself as a person, right? And he's not just in the universe and in the things we see, but he created the things we see and he created the universe and he's Lord over the universe. So the, 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 the Christian understanding of history is that it's actually, the, everything that we know in history is actually his Story, excuse the cheesiness there, all right? But history is God's story unfolding in our lives. And it's got, it's got a beginning and an end. And it's God who's pushing it through. And he is in control of it all. Our faith sees all of life, all of existence, revolving around a God who is completely in control. He's not surprised by anything He's not worried about how anything is going to turn out. Everything that we don't know, he knows, and beyond that, even more. And here's the thing. That same God who is over everything knows and cares about and loves you. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on your head. The Bible says that there's not a sparrow, a little bird that falls to the ground and dies that the father doesn't know about it. And then Jesus adds this comical statement, and you're worth more than many sparrows. I don't know how many, you know, maybe more or less for some or others, but you're worth more than many small birds, right? But the point is that there's not anything that goes down that God doesn't know about it. He is in control and he loves you. And here's why it's good news for Christians is because he's bigger than any problem you face. He's stronger than any enemy that comes up against you. There's not anything in your life that God cannot handle or solve. No matter what you face, no matter what you're worried about, the thing that you answered in the intro, God is in control. And maybe you've heard that and maybe you know it, but I'm here to tell you again and maybe you need to hear it again. God is in control. And even when it looks like he's not in control, he still is. Even if what you're facing is horrible, even if it's not going well, even if you can't see how it's going to resolve, that does not change the fact that God is in control. 
and you can trust him. He is the God of peace. Even though it looks bleak, he's still the God of peace that's working everything together for your good as you trust in him. How do we know that? Because there was a time that we read about in the Bible where Jesus walked up a hill and was led to a cross. And he was beaten and he was bloodied. And he hung up on the cross and he died. Now imagine if you were a disciple of his. You had followed him for three and a half years. You had given up your life to follow this man. You've seen him do miracle after miracle and and teaching after teaching and you've repented and you've grown in your life more than you ever thought. And then you see him on a cross and he's dead. And then you see him take his body down and bury him and put a stone over the tomb. Do you think they thought God was in control? Do you think they were just emotionlessly like, yeah, God's got this. Yeah, well, I know God's in control, so yeah. No, they felt the pain. They had the worry. They had the, I don't know what's going to happen. Is it all over? I think it's all over. I mean, Judas, he went and hung himself. He didn't see any hope for redemption with what he had done. And the other disciples, they, what are we going to do? But even though it looked like God was not in control, the plan of God was unfolding perfectly exactly on cue because on the third day Jesus rose again and so even when it looked like death had beaten him he was busy beating death for us and he rises again on the third day to give us promise of new life isn't that awesome God is in control even when it doesn't look like it. I don't care what situation you're going through. I do care, but I don't care because God is still in control. And when we believe that God is in control, it will turn our worries into worship because our prayers change shape a little bit. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I'm worried... And, and I begin to despair in my own heart. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe prayer will help. So I pray and I kneel down. And I find that, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes later, I'm just, I'm still actually feeling worse because all I've been doing is telling God about my problem. And I haven't been reminding myself in prayer. I haven't been telling my problem about my God and that he is bigger and that he is in control and that he is working all things together for our good. When we believe that God is in control, we begin to not just tell God how big our problems are, but we see, wow, he's over everything and he knows and he's not surprised and I can bring this all to him and believe that he's in control and that he hears my prayer. It begins to turn our worries into worship and then we realize that we don't have to worry about anything. Prayer becomes worship because we recognize that he is working in our life. That's when the peace that doesn't make sense fills us. I have a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. I wanted to share. I should have a slide for it. It says this. This is from an address he gave. He said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned with that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. 
I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. That's from an address he gave the night before he was assassinated. The night before he was killed. But what we see in that quote and what we see in that man is a trust in God that God is big enough and I'm putting my hands to do his will and I'm trusting him with whatever happens. I do not have to worry. When we believe God is in control, our worries begin to turn into worship. Prayer becomes worship, becomes a worshipful conversation with God because we take our problems to him and knowing that he's in control, he's the God of peace and that he is at work even if it looks like and feels like he's not. Christians don't have to worry. Second point, because we believe that God's control is good. God's control is good. How many know it's one thing to believe God's in control? Yeah. And then it's another thing to be like, that control's good. Yeah? I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, well, yeah, I I know God's in control, but that's why I'm worried. <laughs> so I don't like what he's doing, and I'm not certain that it's good right? I don't know how he's going to redeem that. I look around, maybe, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you look around and you think if God is in control, then why is all this happening? Or why is that turning out just like that? I'm not sure that his control is good. Uh, I had an interesting turn of events. Uh, in 2013, there was a small group of us uh, that you got, most of you guys would all know us, but we went to, uh, we went to Kenya. We went back to Kenya on a mission trip and a really short trip. There was five of us and we were raising, we had the opportunity. We felt like God was calling us um, to go and work with this school for just a brief time. And as we were raising funds, it got down to the week of the trip, and it was just like, I, I was worried because there was not, we, were, we didn't have enough money to go. Um, I didn't have enough money to get there, and I was like, man, we just built all this up and um, felt like God was calling us to do this, and it's just not going to happen. So I was really worried, and, and at the time, it was before, uh, New City, before Anchor and Kaleo had merged to make New City, and so we, had one of our, we were having one of our combined gatherings, uh, Kalenko or Ancleo, um, and we did just, at the very end of the service, um, I forgot who, but they just did like a quick offering, hey, if you guys want to help this team go to Kenya, and uh, we went back, and we were just counting up what people had given, and I don't know, I don't know if I was with you, Shane, or someone else. I was counting it with someone. And when I saw what people had given, I saw that it was more than enough to cover what our team lacked to get us there. I mean, some, God had moved on someone's heart, and someone put in a check for $2,000, right? And I was crying 
as we were counting because I was just overwhelmed with God's provision and his control. And I was like, this is exciting. Okay. And then I, I guess this is his will for us to go. Right. And so the next week I had to preach um, at Anchor and I was preaching and the passage was, it had to do with God's control and provision. And so I told that story. It's like, guys, I was so worried. And then, and then um, God provided this way in a way I didn't expect. And, and, uh, and I was so excited. And I remember in the sermon, I said something to the effect of, now I know that God has provided and that it's his will for us to go and do this. And so I don't even care if we crash in the plane on the way there. I can have joy because I trust that God is in control and will be in his will. All right, so remember that I said that, right? So then the next day we fly out, the first flight from San Diego to DC, we get about an hour from DC, it's evening time, and then all of a sudden just, just, what? And I saw the flight attendant, big, like six foot, 200 pound guy, his head hit the ceiling. I heard a lady behind fall and hit her, hit her head on the chair. Everyone in the plane went up and to the left. And uh, I, at the time, uh, Hannah was on the trip and uh, um, we had just been dating for a few months and I turned around and looked at her. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I thought we were, the plane started to f- like fall. I'm not kidding. It was horrible, right? And so I'm scared. I'm like about to get out of my seat and just go die with her. And, and, but instantly in that moment, I was like, why did I say that yesterday in the sermon? Like, like God, it's, it's my time. Oh God. And, uh, and you know, I had never been so scared. The guy next to me, oh Jesus. Oh, and the other guy, um, the, the guy on my right was a retired Navy pilot. And for the last however many years, he had been flying coast to coast every week. And he said, that is the worst turbulence on a commercial airliner I have ever felt. It was horrible. We were shaken up. It was crazy, right? We're thanking God we're alive. We, get, we finally get to D.C., and we go to the baggage claim, and uh, the story might get a little bit sappy. I can tell us now that we're engaged. Um, but anyway, so we're at the baggage claim, and we're just, oh, man, thank God we're alive. And uh, Hannah says something like, yeah, I was about to tell you something I haven't told you. And I was like, and that's when I said the three words. I said, I love you, right? And so that was our, we had our little moment. But We had our little moment of saying the three words for the first time. But when I look back, I see God was in control that whole time. And I also see I was scared to death for half of that story, right? I didn't know if we were going to go, and then say, oh yeah, it's God's will, right? And then I didn't know if we were going to die, and then it's like, oh yeah, maybe God did that to scare us both enough to say what we already knew, right? But God was in control, and his control is good. Now, here's the thing. The things we're worried about, sometimes it is funny to look back and see God's control. Sometimes it's not funny. Sometimes it's hard, and we don't know in the moment how it's going to work out. But we do know, as as Charles Spurgeon said it, when we can't trace God's hand, We can trust his heart. When we don't know what he's up to, when we look in our life and take the thing that you're worried about and you don't know what he's doing, even if you don't understand what he's doing with his control, you can know that it's for your good ultimately. You can know that his heart for you is love 
You can know that as a perfect father, he wants nothing for you but the very best. And that's what he is going to deliver. How do we know that? Once again, the cross shows us a bit of that. The cross shows that that Jesus came, he was God in the flesh, he was sinless, the spotless lamb, and yet he was put to death for the sins of many. And what he went through was unbearable. I mean, on the human side, the pain, but even on the divine side, to be separated from God and to experience that for us. But all of that was not just so that he would go through something horrible. It was not just because God was in control that he went through that. You know, he went through that for your good and for my good. He went through that to pay for your sins and for my sins. He took your punishment and my punishment upon him on the cross. Everything he went to, when it looked like God wasn't in control, he was in control. And when it looked like that can't be a good situation, it was for your good. He entered into suffering that he didn't have to take on, that didn't belong to him. And he took it on for you and I so that we could be saved, so that we could be restored, so that we could be forgiven and loved and so we could have hope of life with him. It wasn't just to show his control, but it was to win our hearts and win our souls and redeem and save whosoever believes in him. It's one of my favorite lines from the hymn, Just As I Am. It says, weep no more, the wrath is on the tree. Weep no more, there's no more left for me. That all of God's righteous wrath against sin was taken on that tree in my place. And because of that, we know the truth that that Romans 8 says that we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We have the promise that no matter what comes into our life, whether sweet or bitter, that God is working it together for good, for our good, and for his glory. Do you want that? If you don't have that today, do you want that hope? Do you want to know that hope? Do you want to know that God is working through everything in your life for good? You can have that today as you, as you turn from sin and confess Jesus is Lord and cry out to him. The Bible says he will save you. And we love to baptize people here into a new identity in Christ. You can know that whatever it is that you're worried about, take that right now. Can you give that to God and say, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust your heart. I don't know what you're doing, but here's my request and here's my need and I trust you. Because my knowledge is limited, but yours is unlimited. My truth is limited, my grace is limited, but yours is unlimited. When we believe God's control is good, we can make requests in prayer. That's what the passage says, that don't worry about anything, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, which is worshipful conversation, and petition, which is a term for 
needs or requests. With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to someone else who doesn't know that truth and who doesn't have that hope in Jesus, but to someone who's been born again. See, it's not, peace is not a natural response when we go through suffering or when we are worried about something. But when we're born again, it is a natural response because it's our new nature that Christ gives us. And we can have a peace that passes understanding as we believe God's control is good. I encourage you to say that in prayer. I encourage you with whatever you're worrying about to say, God, whatever happens, I know that you're good. However this works out, I know that you are good. I know you're working all things together for my good. Prayer, that kind of prayer, when we believe that God is in control and that his control is good, that kind of prayer is the kind of prayer that will shape our worries into worship of God because we know that he's working through it. We know that if he could beat death itself, he can beat this in our life. And we can have joy in the middle of it Amen? In the middle of it. You know, that's, that's so much opposed to the kind of view of life that we have in our culture. You know, a lot of people are not going to be, ha- we don't think we can be happy or we're allowed to have joy until things are moving in the right direction. But the gospel says that even if things are going in the completely opposite direction, I still know who's in control. And I know the direction he's headed, and I have joy no matter what. No matter what. We can be encouraged by that today. We can be encouraged by that joy. Last point, Christians, don't have to worry because we believe the Lord is near. That's a phrase in this passage in, um, in verse five. And uh, Paul, as he's writing here, gives a few uh, final instructions in this letter and exhortations. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is... Uh, it's also translated moderation, but it's, it's a word for like reasonableness or charitableness. And it's basically saying with everybody, be gentle. Even those who are persecuting you, even those who are putting uh, members of your church in jail, be gentle toward everyone. Don't react in kind, right? Let your gentleness be evident to all. But then why does he say it? The next phrase, the Lord is near. And then the next thing he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. The Lord is near. So yes, he's talking about the Lord's presence and how the Lord is with us, but what he's referring to here is the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the last day, the final day, the day when Jesus comes back is near. And this whole idea of rejoice always and be gentle towards everyone and don't be anxious is tied to this attitude that the Lord is near. And it's tied to this truth that our outside circumstances don't have to determine our inner attitudes because we have hope. You know, when Jesus 
rose again and, and, and had over 500 eyewitnesses that he was, had risen from the dead and then he's meeting with them on a mountain in Acts 1 and there's this miraculous thing and that if you don't believe in Jesus and you're in here today, I'm probably gonna lose you on this and there's whole books written about it and we can go into it later and I'd love to have a conversation but the Bible says that Jesus ascends to heaven while they're watching him. Right? And, and if you do doubt that, all these people here that go and tell this story, you know what? They were put to death for this story. So I don't think it's likely that they made it up or when they were at the sword and said, oh, you know what? We made that up so we could create a new religion and get more power. No, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus rising again. And in Acts 1, it says that when an angel comes to them, he says, why are you still looking up? Right? And he basically tells them, go and do what he said, and the G- Jesus is going to come back in the same way that you saw him leave. So there's this assurance from day one that Jesus is going to come back, that what he started while he was here on earth, he's going to come back to finish. And that Christians should have great hope in that. So maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I know about the second coming. I know about that part of the story, but how does that connect with what I'm worried about? How does that give me hope today? How does that speak to where I am right now? And here's part of it. For the believer, the fact that the Lord is near gives us great hope because that is the day when all wrongs will be made right. When all suffering will be gone. When everything that you've gone through will not only make sense on that day, but you will say a million times over, it was worth it to be in the presence of the Lord, unfiltered, unbridled for eternity and worshiping him as the most glorious one that he is. That is a day that is full of hope. But maybe still, it's not connecting. I would say this. The day of the Lord is what you are truly longing for, whether you're a believer or not. We have these desires. We have a desire to see the world full of justice, to see injustice gone, to see hatred gone, to see oppression gone, war, famine, sickness, disease, death. Your desire is that for it to be gone. And I would sum it up with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The day of the Lord is the day when the God of peace brings shalom back to us and every wrong will be made right and every wicked deed will be punished. Every wicked deed will be punished. It will not go unnoticed. And I think that means more to those of us who have experienced more suffering or have been sinned against more. Because every sin will be paid for, either by Jesus on the cross or by hell and judgment. It is the day when the true judge, who is the only one that's able to judge over us, will make everything right. And for Christians, our hope should be facing toward this day. 
It means that whatever you're facing and now, maybe the thing that you're worried about is something you don't see an end of in sight. Will I ever not be depressed? Will I ever be fixed in this area? Yes. It may be in this life or it may be at the day of the Lord, but the Lord is near. We have hope. It's not nothingness at the end. It's restoration that's even greater than the beginning. The thing that your heart is longing for is what Jesus has promised. So you can rejoice in the Lord no matter what. You can rejoice if you have a bad day or if you get thrown in prison. You can rejoice if you got cut off in traffic or if you got beaten for your faith. You can rejoice in everything. Don't feel guilty about that. Be encouraged in that. You can rejoice in Jesus in everything. When someone is evil and mean and unkind to you, you can return with gentleness, showing them the grace that God has shown you on the cross. And knowing that one day all wrongs will be made right. Are you suffering? The suffering Savior is also the conquering King. Everything you've gone through will make sense. Every burden will be completely lifted. The Lord is near. Let your prayers shape your worries into worship. When we believe that God is faithful to keep his promise, that God is working through history to his goal for our good and for his glory. And we have hope and it changes our prayers. It changes our perspective. And no matter what we go through, we can worship him. When we pray, we can have thanksgiving and hope that he is working everything according to his will for our good. And when that happens, the peace that God gives us. And I know people in this church that have felt that extreme peace that God gives us when it doesn't make sense at all. It passes understanding. And yet, God gives us that and it guards our hearts and minds. I want to end with this. That term that that Paul is writing with and says the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's using military language that brings to mind uh, like a military sentry that is at a town or a colony and goes and circles and protects them from threats on the outside. And the Philippians, the church at Philippi would have understood this because they were a Roman colony and there was a lot of military there and they did have to be protected around the outside. And the church would have understood this to a greater degree because he's telling them to stand firm in the Lord and, and they're facing threats of persecution from the outside, of division from inside, and of false teaching all around. But he says that when you let prayer shape your worries into worship, God's gonna give you a peace that will guard your heart and guard your mind and keep you in Christ. That same promise is ours today. 
That same promise is ours today. That you can have that impenetrable peace. I think of like San Diego. We have so much military here. What if someone attacks San Diego? (laughs) They would feel sorry for it pretty quickly, I think. (laughs) There's so many ships and there's so many aircraft and there's so many things to defend us. But even if we feel safe in that sense as a city, we can feel more safe with the peace that God gives us no matter what we go through that will guard our hearts. If you want that today, let's pray. I'm going to pray and then give some instructions for communion and then we'll end with uh, a song. Anton's going to lead us in worship at the, at the end of this time. And, but let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, just for this time, for your word. God, I thank you that you don't uh, beat us up with truth, but you build us up with truth. God, I thank you that you give us this example, Lord, of of joy and peace in extreme circumstances. And even if we can't fully relate with the circumstances, we know that that same truth applies to our hearts right now. And each and every person, I pray, God, that they would take the thing, the foremost thing that that is causing them anxiety, causing them to worry, causing them to wonder if you see them, if you know them, if you love them through and through, just like the song says. And God, I pray that they would feel the reassurance of the Holy Spirit that you do see you do know you do love more than anyone else God and you have loved them already greater than anything they can imagine God and that one day you have a perfect beautiful hope for us as we trust in you Lord I pray that someone who's here and and may have never trusted that God would begin to turn to you right now Lord would begin to confess sins and wrongs against you, Lord, and would would come to know you as Savior and come to know you as Lord today. God, I pray that we would rejoice as someone here could walk in newness of life, leave different than they came in, Lord. And God, I pray for those of us that are here that, that that are in Christ and that have been given this great inheritance, Lord, that we would take inventory today. And we look at the areas of our lives that we're worried, where we're doubting your control, where we're doubting that you're good. And God, even though we're feeble and weak, God, we pray that you would help us and give us great joy, give us great peace, Lord. And the fact that you are in control, God, and that you are good. God, and that you give good gifts to your children, Lord, and that you do give us an eternal hope, Lord. We thank you so much, God. Thank you so much, Lord. In your name, amen.